I'd like to make a comment about the advertisements on television, the NHS advertisements on television. We all have had enough of listening to CODIF, the CODIF, whatever it is, the coronavirus. Uh, we don't need it stuffed down our throats in adverts when we're watching a film or something. So take these adverts and all of you can shove them up your ass. Unbelievable that you inflict this nonsense on, on us in our homes. So, as I say, take all these adverts all together and you can shove them up the chief editor, yourself, Omar, and all the rest of the um, nutters in your company. Goodbye. Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. This is Omar Oaks, media and tech editor at Campaign. We have a cracking episode to end the year with. Our look at the commercial media sector in 2020, the year that COVID supercharged the streaming wars, the explosion in e-commerce, media agencies restructuring, big tech boycotts, and what next for cinema and outdoor? I'll be joined by Sue Frogley, Chief Executive of Publicist Media UK, and Douglas McCabe, Chief Executive of Enders Analysis. They're going to unpick a huge year for commercial media. But first, uh, that sound you just heard at the top was a voicemail I received recently. Um, I'm afraid I have no idea who it was or why they decided to contact me to complain about all these coronavirus ads on TV. But, you know, I thought it's nearly Christmas. It is the season of kindness. So whoever you are out there, sir, I'd like to respond to you. Um, Should we have some music? Producer Lindsay, let's have some music for this. Um, I don't know your name, sir. I'm going to I'm going to give you a name. Let's call you Ebenezer. Um, Dear Ebenezer, I don't make coronavirus ads. Uh, My colleagues at campaign, including the chief editor, which isn't actually a thing, by the way, but that doesn't matter. Um, We just write about the ads, um, just in the same way that the crime reporter at the Times isn't also the judge that decides to send down the murderer to prison for life. Now, you're entitled to your opinion that ads about COVID-19, which I believe is the term you were grasping for, um, COVID-19 ads are, as you say, being stuffed down our throats during the ad breaks for films and the like. Uh, Now... I respectfully disagree. I think clear and frequent public health messaging is important during a global pandemic, which has already claimed 1.6 million deaths at the time I'm recording this. If you really can't stand it, Ebenezer, you know, most smart TVs nowadays come with a pause TV function, as do Virgin Media and Sky Go if you use those services. Or, you know, just look at your smartphone during the ad breaks. I'm told some people might do that from time to time. And... By the way, there are plenty of ways to watch ad films nowadays without ad breaks. We'll be talking about Netflix and Disney Plus and the like at length in our conversation coming up about media in 2020. And finally, as for shoving the ads up our asses, I'm not entirely clear how one would go about doing that, but perhaps you'd like to demonstrate that yourself by way of explanation. Um, so thank you, Ebenezer, so much for your comments. Have a wonderful Christmas and stay safe. Now to our conversation with Sue Frogley and Douglas McCabe. Now joining me today is Sue Frogley, Chief Executive of Publicist Media UK. Uh, She is the big boss of Publicist Group's media planning and buying group in the UK. It comprises 2,000 people and over a billion pounds in revenue. Uh, Its media agencies include Digitas, Spark Foundry, Starcom and Zenith. 
She's also a member of the Publicist Group UK Executive Board part of, and part of Facebook's Client Council. Sue, thanks for coming on. Uh, where does lockdown find you? Hi, great to be here. Um, I'm in Crystal Palace, uh, lockdown at home with my husband and my two grown-up sons who are probably less happy to be um, locked up at home with me than I am. So all good here. Uh, yes, well, don't worry. Christmas is coming soon. Um, <laughs> interesting things happening at Publicist Group at the time of recording. Uh, you're due to have Michelle Obama speak, are you not? What's going on? Uh, yeah, she was due to be speaking minus five minutes ago. And a huge event for Publicist Group, uh, live on Marcel. Um, but we've been thwarted by the Google outage um, and the event is currently on hold. So I'm sort of multitasking here at the moment. So in fact, there's just an email coming from Arthur Sadoon. Urgent 2020 strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I that's just... happening live at the moment. <laughs> oh, I don't suppose you can get more 2020 than Google deciding <laughs> to call it a day. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you might hear a bit more about that. Um, also joining us is Douglas McCabe, Chief Executive of Enders Analysis. Uh, Douglas is, of course, a leading expert in tech and publishing media, um, produces regular reports from Enders Analysis, analyzing supplier strategies, forecasting, consumption, revenue, and marketing expenditure um he used to be a director at fish Four, the online advertising portal uh, and was director of sales development and market insights at hmv group um douglas hello uh how are you where does lockdown find you hi omar it's uh, it's great to be here um i'm not a million miles away from sue actually i'm in peckham um i've been sitting in this same study for what feels like many months um and uh uh, we've been we've been based here throughout, which is great. Yes, um, first confirming my theory that everyone or that most people in the UK ad industry lives in South London. Uh, <laughs> but moving on, um, so what's a year it's been in media? Um, I think um, we we did a piece in our December January issue, um, Douglas, where you said in an article we wrote that essentially five years um we've had five years of acceleration in media in the space of this one year um douglas just paint a picture for us first of all give us a macro macro insight of just what's happened in the uk when it comes to media and tech this year well i think my starting point on this is always to step back and think about what's happening to the economy kind of more broadly and it is a unique set of circumstances it's not like a normal inverted commas normal um recession where in a sense, everything collapses all at the same pace at the same time. What you have here is a unique set of circumstances where bullet holes have gone right through parts of the parts of the economy. Why? Because we're all effectively locked up at home. And so we've reconfigured and rewired urban spaces in particular. So what I'm describing, you know, massively affects places like London uh, and other uh, major cities and major towns around the UK and indeed all of the Western world. And even when, even during those periods where we've come out of lockdown, we've experienced fundamentally different kind of aspects to, 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 to the way things have worked. And one of the observations that, that I've made is that, for example, if you go to the city, classic kind of uh, central part of London where all the bankers are, um, professional services and so on, that, is, that has been empty throughout, you know, three quarters of 2020. Um, and parts, other parts of the centre of London, the West End, the high streets have at least temporarily become quite busy. We're recording this just as London is probably going to go into tier three. So that, that may well be about to change. But that fundamentally has driven all of the 
you know, major advertising trends that we that, that we have seen. So if you think about the implications of all of that, we're spending a lot more time at home. That uh, has, a, has a catastrophic impact on, for example, out-of-home advertising. We're not going to the cinema. That has a catastrophic impact on cinema advertising. The flip side of that is that we're spending a lot of time uh, either online at home or watching TV at home. And so that has a knock-on and positive impact on other parts of the advertising economy. That's fundamentally, I think, what we've seen. And I do think it will continue for a big stretch of 2021 as well. Mm. It's interesting because at the beginning of this year, we were already seeing, um, you know, the, the so-called streaming wars enter a new phase we've had netflix in the uk for many years amazon prime video but of course disney plus was set to launch in march at any rate and um, just at the time that disney plus did launch in march and um, we went into lockdown in in the uk now sue frogley um describe for us i mean it's obviously been you know a very difficult year for ad agencies and media agencies that you're in charge of um just Paint a picture for us. How does the state of this year, this crisis, how did it compare to, example, the last crisis, which I guess was the financial crisis of 2008? I think it can be put into sort of two categories. First of all, there was sort of the human personal level that we were all suddenly working at home. (laughs) And, you know, could we actually do this? The last crisis, we were all in the office together working out what to do. This time we were all separated. So everybody was at home literally overnight. So were were we geared up? Could we actually, could we run our business from our bedrooms? And actually we can so there was that impact of the on the human side and then the business side what are our clients going to do what are they going to do and it varied enormously and it just as Douglas said it 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 was varied by by sector so we have hotel clients um they were they were shut so there was no advertising for them to do and there was no point we had other clients retail clients that were busier than ever so they were they were advertising almost more but also they wanted to be very sensitive they didn't want to be appear to be capitalizing on a bad situation and just because their sales were booming they wanted to ensure they had their market share but they also didn't want to be seen to be sort of profiting from you know a very very bad situation so so we had the impact of our individuals at home and then what was happening to our clients and some of our sort of account people were working on different accounts that had different challenges some were spending some were not so it was it it was and remains quite a complex business now it's a, it's a particular case for publicist media because your agencies have actually won media accounts for TikTok. Um, you have GlaxoSmithKline, uh, Disney, we just mentioned Disney Plus. And so that you've, you know, um, I imagine you have travel clients as well and other sectors which aren't doing so well. But particularly those areas where I've actually seen growth this year. How has it has it been a relief? Has it been you're learning to do different things with those sorts of accounts? How has that contrast been? A relief is probably a good way of putting it because ideally you want always want a portfolio client. So if we were if we were too dependent on the travel sector, that would have been a problem. So I think first of all, relief that you, you we have a portfolio. It means that you can uh, manage resourcing, so you can move them across if if one client's quiet and another one's not busy so that's really good but also you've got to remember that these clients would would they were doing different things as well so for a start they were at home 50% of marketing departments were on furlough so even if their businesses were doing quite well a lot of them were still being furloughed they were um, working differently so not only if 
it was boom times for some of them. It was just completely different challenges. And Disney Plus was was fantastic. But again, they they had their their own challenges of what they were having to do. So for our teams, they had to understand the client's business challenge, how they were working, and then adapt accordingly. So so it was it's good to have a portfolio, but every single client was different. And also it was changing by the week. You know, the first lockdown was was different to the second lockdown. So just really have to be uh, adaptable. Uh, of course, um, we have to go all the way back to February when Campaign uh, first reported. I think OMD UK was the first office in the UK that actually shut over what was then a, a coronavirus scare. Someone had come from China into the UK and as a precaution, they shut down the office. And that was a really big story at the time. <laughs> and, you know, a, a month later at the end of March, the whole industry uh, had decided to shut their offices and working at home. It's amazing how quickly things had changed. Um, I bet, you know, most people didn't think in February that we would see, we'd predict that what's happened this year. Uh, Then moving on to March, then the forecast started coming in. The UK was set to face a drop of 50% down in April across the whole uh, UK media market. And I think that that was, um, that did turn out to be what the numbers were in the end. Um, Douglas, have have you seen numbers like this before where we've had such a huge crater in the UK media spend market and for it to, it is recovering now? But such a such a huge fall. Yes, it is. It is. It's pretty much unprecedented. I think the way to think about it is the second quarter was was you know there was a scale of decline in the second quarter which we've never seen before. What Sue is saying is absolutely right. Of course, different categories behaved in different ways, but there was a uh, the first lockdown was a real lockdown, right? We really all were sent to home. Commerce seemed to be almost stopped, apart from B two B commerce, and um, there was a there was a sense in which advertisers. I assume felt there's so much uncertainty. We've no idea what our objectives would, would even be with a marketing campaign, you know, on the first of April, as it were. And so, to a very, very meaningful degree, advertising retreated very heavily indeed. So we'd never really quite seen that before. On the other hand, if you think about all the budgets that were put together at that time, or you know, redone at that time, I suspect there's an awful lot of companies who have landed mid-December, as, as, as we are now, as we speak on this, um, thinking, actually, it wasn't quite as bad as we feared. So Q2 was fundamentally very different from Q3, and, and, and Q4 has proven to be very different again. I have a sneaking feeling that Q1 2021 might be very, very difficult for a lot of businesses, um, partly because we might well be in another lockdown, I think, but also because, you know, we've come through several weeks of feeling a little bit better psychologically as much as uh, in, in strict business terms with, you know, the discovery of a vaccine, Brexit debate rolls on, so on and so forth. Um, I think Q1 could be very tough, um, but the rest of 2021 will be a period of recovery uh, for sure. So so it's a, a mixed picture. So we've never experienced anything like Q2 before but on the other hand if you take the year as a whole perhaps we've 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 seen that kind of level of uh, decline in the past particularly around the financial crisis which you mentioned earlier it's an interesting point about this year uh, in the round not being as bad as we feared we had predictions at the beginning of this month what well, forecast rather from group m from um, your own zenith sue uh, from interpublic uh, all broadly saying that for the year that uk ad market is going to be down by about four and a half five uh, percent uh, which seems quite good in comparison to the forecast of 12 percent that we were seeing in the middle of the year over the summer douglas just on that i mean for i mean 
two questions. Firstly, to your point about 2021, uh, how big of an impact do you think Brexit will have, briefly, if you can? Uh, and also, were you surprised at the, at, the, at the upgrade of forecasts we had at the end of the year? A no-deal uh, outcome is the kind of worst-case scenario. And I think we're still on the edge uh, of, of, of that outcome. And I think that is uh, not a good place for ultimately for the advertising industry, because I think the pound itself will be hit. Um, I think currency itself will be hit in, in those circumstances. And I think there are lots of knock-on effects for all sorts of different types of business. Some types of business will be a lot less affected, but some I think will be will be very affected. I think what has been sort of built into the system now, priced into to for example, share prices and so on, is, is a Brexit with a deal. And so therefore, if we get over the line with a deal, I think, broadly speaking, it will be based on the assumptions that everyone has made um, going forward. So, so we, we've, almost factored, we've almost factored all of that in. Uh, sorry, what was your second question, Omar? Forgive me. Were you surprised that we were only four and a half, five percent 5% down for the year? As I say, I think the second half of the year generally was, was much better for a lot of businesses than, than they were expecting uh, during that Q2. You know, during calendar Q2, as I say, there was a real feeling of things being switched off at quite a dramatic, quite a fundamental level. And and so therefore, I think everything felt a bit like a bit of upside almost, the, almost thereafter. I think you also have to make, uh, I mean, to make a really obvious point, you also have to make a, a, a distinction between what happened online and what happened uh, offline. I think offline advertising in, in the sense of print advertising, strictly speaking, TV advertising, the non uh, the non online or non digital inventory of out of home and, and so on and so forth. I think all of that advertising is probably double digit decline in the year as a whole, uh, whereas online advertising will come out much, much better than that, of course. And of course, um, the impact on your business, um, Sue, has you know been remarkable it was the middle of april publicist group announced uh, it was going to make redundancies across the uk you know it's across the board omnicom i think on the same day uh, announced a similar scale of job losses wpp as well um obviously it's not comfortable to talk about people losing their jobs but you know this is the year that was broadly speaking who who are the sorts of people that have left the business and if you are are you starting to hiring people going forward and if so what kinds of people yeah, I'm not going to get into numbers or anything like that. But the the sort the sorts of people were it was it was across the whole the whole sector really of the business, and we had to look at our cost base because we knew that uh, life had changed overnight for business. So we had we had to we had to go quite quickly and quite decisively. So it was across the whole all departments, all teams, um, and we went we went quite quickly, um, and we because we didn't want to go twice we wanted to just do it once so we did it once and you know I've been quite transparent about this it was a bet we had to bet what did we think was going to happen to the market and what did we need to do to the cost base so um you know we roughly got it right there's no there's no perfect answer and then the next question is are you are we hiring are we hiring again we are starting to hire again because we've um had, we've been lucky we've had some new good uh, good new business wins so we're hiring on those um, and then we've also got clients that are coming back with different um, services, different scopes and stuff like that. So sometimes we are hiring against that, but we are being very, very cautious. And I'll be explaining this to everybody on uh, Wednesday to an all company Zoom is that we have to we have to be very cautious because we do not know what is going to happen. So we're seeing clients 
are quite um, active at the moment and it's Christmas and, you know, we've got, you know, I was talking to a fragrance client and she was saying, I can't believe we're selling, we're selling fragrances online without people smelling them. They always thought you had to go into a store and smell them, but no, sales are fantastic. So we've got this fantastic sort of Father Christmas effect at the moment and everybody's quite confident. And then exactly as Douglas says, we are going to go into the first quarter, which is always quiet for, for advertising and media. So we're going to have that. We're going to have real cautiousness from clients. So what does that mean for our business? We have to be very cautious ourselves and uh, we mustn't start hiring too quickly. We have to wait to see what's going to happen. What's going to happen to the business? What's going to happen? Do we do lockdown again, et cetera, et cetera? What does Brexit do? So yes, we are hiring on a, on a, on a cautious basis at the moment. And going forward, you know, the trends that we've seen, the explosive numbers in streaming for Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, for Disney Plus, we've already mentioned. Um, plus the shit, you know, we, we remarked on the campaign podcast last week about um, Group M's um, forecast for how e-commerce would essentially go from zero in 2014 to, I think, um, just nearly three billion pounds, about 8% of all UK ad spend in 2024, um, quite a rise within 10 years. Um, does that does that mean going forward, publicist media is going to be a lot more uh, focusing on digital transformation for brands rather than offline media? Are we going to be more focused? I think the two the two are going to blur. So I think I think in a year's time, you won't even be talking about that they're different. Um, so it's not the much so much that we're going to be focusing more on it. We will still have to do both. Tell to, you know, as we've seen, particularly in lockdown, television is still very very important. So um, and digital transformation that's quite a massive. It's a massive label, but um, so we will we be focusing on it more. It will be just as much where we're seeing the changes in our business is where our clients are changing. And a really good example is a travel client. They they had no online platform and they were going to do it over three years and they did it in three months. And if they had if they had said in March (laughs) this year, the client said to me, if you'd said we were going to do this in three months, we would never have done it. They've done it in three months instead of three years. So where we have to focus and be ready is it's not so much our transformation. It's like, what what do the clients need? And it will entirely depend on how quickly or slowly, but it's more likely to be very quickly. These clients are going to move so fast in this area. Uh, Douglas, is this um, what, you're, what you expect to see going forward into next year? Um, a lot more brands who... I've been using, you know, the the cliches don't waste a good crisis. You know, I've been using 2020 to 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 arm themselves on a digital front. You know, having a better mobile site or having better technology in terms of using AR for trying on things. Do you expect to see more of that going forward? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I mean the kind of real the real sort of macro signals uh, in the market are just the degree to which we've. Uh, and Sue's already touched on it, the degree to which we've all collectively adopted e-commerce. I mean, e-commerce has really exploded. So so if you take the e-commerce kind of trends over the last two or three years, what we've done is effectively, you know, as of this summer, we've we've jumped to 2024. I mean, we've just we've just kind of literally jumped to that stage in the long term forecast. And and I don't see it. 
re reversing significantly. I'm sure behaviours will balance out in different categories in slightly different ways. It is possible, for example, that once people are shopping again, they would still prefer to buy perfume, I think, in a shop than online. I think that's probably true. But on the other hand, I think there's all sorts of shopping behaviours which, frankly, probably have really just changed forever. And so I think that's fundamentally such a big signal about, about so many different types of manufacturers, so many types of business. Any, 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 any business that's consumer-facing has had to kind of um, look at a, a, a rethink in that sense. Indeed, if I can use a sort of example from media itself, you know, the, the, the real triumph of, for, for, for the news industry the newspaper industry this year has not been the traffic to their online services. That's been good and helpful and so on. But but what it's done is brought in a little bit of extra pocket money in terms of advertising. What has happened that I think is really interesting is they've added several hundred thousand of, of, of online subscribers between them. I'm talking across the FT, across the Guardian, across the Telegraph, across the Times. They've added several hundred thousand subscribers. And, and actually, I think that there's a really important, it's almost like a pivotal moment this. I think there may be... Uh, as many people now inclined to pay for online news as there are inclined to pay for print news, uh, you know, as as of right now. And so, so it's it's a it's a call it what you want, but it's a kind of pivotal moment in 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 terms of the trajectory of the news industry. I think. Sue, so, um, what what are you? What's your forecast for the next few years in terms of ad the ad funded programming in particular? We've seen um the you know the big broadcasters in the UK. Channel 4 and ITV, they've both moved away from uh, these eight-week advanced booking deadlines. It's a lot more flexible if you want to buy TV ads, uh, which is in response to more flexibility demanded from advertisers. What's your view going forward for ad-funded programming? I think it's going to be massive. Have, have I got a forecast and a number? I wish, but no. Um, but I, I, th I think it's going to be absolutely massive. I think we've seen ITV and Channel 4 really change in a good way. They've modernised their businesses. They've you know, they've they've said, you know, as you said, they've done the AB deadline piece. They're really addressing data, really addressing addressability. And this always makes me smile because they they say they're, they're putting the client first and always makes me laugh when you hear anybody say they're putting the client first because it's like, oh, OK, what did you used to do? But um, but they but they actually mean it. And, you know, Channel 4 have become, you know, much more client first, you know, they're clap for carers, um, the Black History Month, they've done a lot of that stuff. ITV are doing the same sort of thing. I'm just trying to think which... Oh, well, we all remember, we all remember the diversity ad that they did. Uh, that's after, right, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so uh, so they're really focusing on it and they're really uh, and they're really working as partners with our clients and with ourselves. So I, I can really see it taking off in a massive way. Do you, Douglas, do you think um, maybe broadcasters should go further in offering more flexibility for advertisers as they look to compete going forward? Look, I think it's I think it's quite challenging. I think there's an argument that could be uh, put that they've been a little bit slow to get to the point where 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 they are now. But I'm 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 inclined to agree with Sue that that two things. One, I I would feel reasonably in their shoes, I'd feel reasonably bullish about the advertising opportunity as a whole, taking into account both the broadcast stream and, and, and everything they can do in terms of um, streaming services and so on. Um, and, and, and there's no doubt that they are very focused on this. I mean, ITV's announced quite a significant restructure. And, you know, there's, there's, these, these are quite fundamental changes to the way that they operate their business, I think. And they've recognised the threats. You know, net, the Netflix explosion uh, is now 15, it's about 15 million uh, UK households. So, I mean, it's really, you know, it's it's really meaningful. It's really meaningful competition and there are no, more players coming in, coming into the market. But on the other hand, 
On the other hand, I think these businesses do unique stuff. And it's not just that they are public service broadcasters. It's not just that they are broadcasters, first and foremost. It is that they are fundamentally British businesses, very, very focused on British output. They have an intimacy to them that Netflix can never possibly have. They feel like businesses that are sitting in the corner of the living room of every, of every household in, in, in the country. That is really meaningful for advertisers. And I think it's easy to forget how important that, that whole role is. And in the end, Netflix doesn't carry advertising. And so it's not in that, it's not in that bit of the competition. ITV and Channel 4 both having their digital upfronts uh, in the last few weeks. Um, both companies talking about how they want to pivot more uh, to focusing on streaming services, namely their video on demand services, the ITV Hub or 4. Uh, and of course, um, it's it's quite expensive, isn't it, Sue, to buy on these VOD platforms because there just isn't the inventory there. You know, it gets bought up rather quickly, um, from what I understand. Um, now, obviously, they're going to increase the number of programs that are going to be on these platforms. But the, the advertising that's there, if you go on it, it's quite performance, kind of call to action stuff. Do you, do you think that there's going to be even more performance led advertising as opposed to the more the more brand building that you tend to see on linear TV? I think we will see more performance, but I think uh, I'm not sure. I think it's not going to be at the death of the brand. So I think they'll, I think we're, we will still see both. But I think you'll see them coming together and it'll be harder to tell which, like to your point now, some of it is a bit clunky and you can just see what it's trying to do. I think over time, over the next year, we'll see the performance of the brand's piece coming together and you will see less delineation on those two. It was really interesting when um, the, the, the cratering of the ad market happened end of Q1, beginning of Q2. Um, all, all the CPMs um, went down to the floor and um, you had a lot. And TV was actually quite cheap to buy uh, as demand went down. And you, This year we've had a lot of e-commerce companies that have actually come on either after many years away or the newer brands have actually come on for the first time. Um, it's been really interesting to see a lot of new brands come onto TV. Um, do, you, do you think that's something that could happen in the future where we, we have... Um, new a new mix of advertisers on TV. I think it was very interesting how they brought new advertisers, and you'd be what you'd be watching it, and you'd go, "Whoa, I haven't seen them for years." So I thought I think it was very good. The flexibility and the shorter AB deadline really really helped on that, and also because they're much smarter now about the regional regional uh, way you can buy that is a little bit more cheaper, so they they can come in and make it more targeted. So I think we will see. Uh, it more um, and they tend to call the clients that are already on legacy clients which I'm it's not I'm, my client clients who, are, who don't like to be called legacy clients you know um, so so they get they're going to have to make sure that they keep everybody happy and there mustn't just be incentives for the for the new the new people returning so um, that will be quite interesting to watch. And um, um, do you think, Douglas, do you think in response to the changes that we're seeing in media, we mentioned streaming, we mentioned e-commerce, uh, do you think um, we'll see even more um, agency restructures next year as agencies adapt to, to what clients want? Look, the whole agency model is in one level, uh, is in one sense, sorry, um, under intense pressure. And so I suppose the, the macro question behind your question is, will there be more consolidation and will, be the, will, will the industry kind of rewire, restructure to some degree? Possibly. And I think what is true is that um, successful agencies going forward. Now, it was ever thus, but it will become even more important. Agencies that succeed will be those that are really flexible and can respond to a very, very wide range of objectives and briefs um, and not just 
you know, set, set out a stall that says we're particularly good at X, Y and Z. They have to be incredibly flexible because businesses themselves, by which I mean, you know, just anyone who wishes to advertise, anyone that has a marketing budget, ultimately, you know, might might change strategically what it is they're trying to do even year to year, you know, even within the period of a campaign, in theory. So so I think flexibility is going to be the watchword uh, as we go forward and agencies that, 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 that succeed will be able to capitalise on that. But for sure, there's going to be a lot more businesses that are online businesses that, you know, those businesses will be the ones that, that succeed. And so... Ultimately, for agencies and for media itself, they've got to be able to respond to that positively by saying, yeah, we know exactly how to work with these businesses. We know exactly what they need. We know exactly what they're trying to set out to do. And I think you'll see a lot of um, blurring of boundaries between what we have historically thought of as classic brand advertising and, and classic performance advertising. The reality is uh, businesses will want to have a mixture of both working very, very closely together, I think. Uh, and of course, just on that, uh, at Dentsu, news emerged this year that they were going to merge Visium, uh, one of the great media planning agencies, uh, with iProspect, very much a, a more performance-orientated media business. Um, so those two agency brands coming together uh, on publicist groups. Sue, you've had um, Blue 449, formerly Walker Media, um, being consolidated into Spark Foundry. Um, do you think, though, personally, I'm a little bit surprised that there maybe hasn't been more agencies being merged this year. On WPP, they've they've brought to, they're bringing together AKQA and the creative agency Grey. Do you think um, we might see one of the big networks? And you can choose to break news on here if you want. Maybe a publicist. But do you think <laughs> we might see media and creative finally coming together in order to offer this agile, integrated solution that clients want? <laughs> Oh, I'm not going to be breaking any news. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do. I think it's a. I think it's a very. I think it's a very good question, and I think Douglas's point about agility and speed. I think is is really interesting. Um, and I, and I'm always keen to say that publicist is not a super tanker and that we can can be fast and agile. And I think it was really interesting on the Sunday lockdown. I'm losing track on my lockdowns now. The second lockdown on the it was announced on a Saturday, I think, and yeah, on a Saturday afternoon. And we had a client saying, right, we want to we want to do press ads on Monday morning, and so we could speak to all the media owners, and we could we could get all the um, all the bookings done, and uh, the creative agency, and not a publicist one said. Oh no, sorry, we we don't work on the weekends. We can't get you any copy. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's interesting. So I think on the activation side, you're going to have to be fast. And if there's a random Boris announcement on a Sunday, you've got to be able to do press ads on the Monday and stuff like that. So, um, but the brand development piece is never going to be tactical like that. So, to oh, sorry, to answer the question, is it coming together? We looked, we definitely, we definitely looked at it. It's something that really interests me. But you've got to look at where, how your clients are structured, how how they operate. Often you have completely different people in charge of creative and completely different people in charge of media. And there's no point in us creating a structure of something we think clients might want, um, and particularly not now, because I think. All clients are firefighting and this is not the time to be making massive, massive structural changes. Because I think when we come to March, April, May, 
clients will have sat back, taken a breath and go, right, okay, what do we want from agencies? And I do think it's a mistake if agencies start creating something that they think they want rather than listening and waiting to what clients will actually will want to see when we come out of this. Interesting. Uh, and just on the subject of um, ins and outs, perhaps the most high profile um, person uh, to, to, to leave an agency was uh, Mindshare's global chief executive, Nick Emery, um, who was terminated after an apparent video call prank went wrong. Uh, you can, of course, read the full story on campaignlive.co.uk. Um, uh, j- just on the subject, we're, we're currently recording this over over Zoom. <laughs> Do you have, have, I'm just interested to know within your own organisations, have you have you have you seen things like that and thought, oh well, you know, we we all kind of all had to learn as we go along in terms of holding Zoom meetings and knowing what is and isn't appropriate. Yes, I mean the, the, the short answer is of course yes. We've all learned on the job, haven't we? We've all learned learned how to work in this new sort of isolated uh, isolated world. I mean, I think I don't have any kind of embarrassing stories to tell, unfortunately. But what we have learned, I think, is that um, group wide, I mean, obviously, you can do group wide announcements, but group wide conversations don't really work. And you've you've got to find ways of having quite intimate conversations with small groups, sometimes one to one, certainly small groups of three to four people, I think they're much, much more, much, much more effective. Um, and trying to have a conversation with a dozen people and more is just incredibly, incredibly difficult. So there's a new working rhythm that I think for, for all of us that we've all learned. And, and I'm sure every business has gone through the same process of realising certain sort of um, alleyways that didn't work. You thought they might work, but they don't, they don't really function very well. And other, and other things that um, happen almost by accident and you find it actually works really well. And, and I think that's probably a common theme for, for, for many businesses this year. Zoom is a uh, Zoom. Sue, as a, as a big media agency boss CEO, you must, your calendar must be ridiculous. You must be inundated with um, Zoom and Google Meet requests. How do, you, how do you handle it? What have you learned this year? What I've learned is I've learned uh, that we've seen a much more human side to all of us, all of our leaders. And I love it when the children come running in and all the, the dogs going berserk and stuff like that. I think we've seen a more, a human, a more human side. I think that's been, that's been lovely. Um, I think it's been very, and I think it's been very hard for people, you know, even this morning, you know, some of the schools in Greenwich are shutting tomorrow and suddenly we've got people that have got their busiest week ever finishing Friday and now the schools are shutting. So it's so just really, really tough for people. So, and on managing the diary, I'm quite, quite strict and all my meetings are either 15 or 20 minutes they never finished because I learned in the first two weeks I couldn't actually have time to go to the loo because <laughs> I was it was nine till 10 10 till 11 so we've changed that we don't we try and not have meetings between one and two so that everybody gets a break so we've learned these kind of etiquette things so so we've learned it quite well I would say overall as a business we've been very efficient perhaps not quite as effective nothing nothing beats and you can have as Douglas said two or three people but I tell you what two or three people sitting in a room or when I've been into the office um, it's just is is much much better so we will be doing a hybrid of the two when we come out of all of this yeah 
Um, that was definitely a theme of last week's uh, campaign podcast. The creative reviewer, uh, Niels Leonard, was saying um, definitely you cannot replicate the creativity you get with people working groups in the office, working from home. It just yeah. does not happen. And yes. uh, listeners have heard me bang on about uh, how working from home sucks enough. I'm not going to go on about that. Right. Uh, just, a, just a few minutes more. Uh, so much has happened in 2020. We'll, we'll briefly get to the other things that happened. Uh, not that they're any less important. Uh, starting off with Facebook and the multi-brands board boycott that they experienced over the summer um lots of um campaign groups unhappy with their stance over um hate speech and policing hate content um now we don't really hear about that much anymore douglas how looking back on it now how much do you think that that had an impact on facebook and going forward how do you think it'll act much differently well i think the short answer to your question is it probably didn't really have any impact at all on facebook in the end actually uh i mean facebook's advertising is well up in 2020 and was well up through throughout the the throughout the boycott it's the nature of facebook's advertising that in the end it doesn't rely on the big hundred advertisers the big hundred global advertising giants in the same way that traditional media does you know the tv industry or the press or whatever facebook's advertising comes from in the end hundreds and i do mean literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of um of 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 smaller players so i think of the top 100 the top 100 advertisers for example represents about 16 percent of facebook's um revenues that leaves an awful lot of revenue coming from everybody else you know an awful lot of revenue so in the end even an incredibly sophisticated well coordinated boycott was never really going to have very much impact and I don't think this was a particularly sophisticated or well coordinated boycott because I think actually what you saw was a bunch of advertisers some who took this question very very seriously and were making a statement and others who probably were thinking maybe I can reduce my my spend with Facebook in any case and why don't we just you know um, link it to this boycott in some in in in, in some way or another without necessarily you know, strategically thinking they're never going to advertise with Facebook again because of what's going on. You know, I don't really think that was in many advertisers' minds in reality. So given what um, Douglas just said, what, what impact did you see on the ground from your agency perspective? And does it does it prove that the brand boycotts like this just don't work? I wouldn't say that there's quite a sweeping statement for this particular instance. You know, you know, Douglas is correct with his, you know, 16% of um, revenue only comes from those big advertisers. So, so therefore that, you know, it's so mathematically, it's never going to work. What we saw is that clients were very, very keen for our advice, as in, um, for, from a brand safety issue, they didn't. They wanted. They wanted to. Uh, they were very interested in what other clients were doing. Um, so, so they saw us as the sort of intermediary, uh, consulting what's happening and stuff like that. We were very, very firm. This is a client decision. We will not be advising what clients should or shouldn't be doing. This has to be their decision. So we were just we would just facilitate whatever they decided. And some of them did come off, but didn't want to say they'd come off to Douglas's point. They wanted to just, um, you know, maybe spend a little less money here. So it was a very it was a very, very private matter to each individual client. And they wanted they wanted counsel about what was happening and what we thought and where the risks were. But we were very, very clear it was an individual client um, decision depending on too many factors to take into account that they had to decide right um your, your point about um acting as that intermediary that consultant is quite interesting um it just reminds me um i haven't heard a lot about in-housing this year 
Um, it was it was all the rage a couple of years ago. Lots of big um, multinational corporations saying they're going to in-house their digital media. Um, I don't I haven't heard much about this year, despite you know all this talk about digital transformation. Very briefly, Sue, why has that been? Or am I wrong? Has it been happening? You're just not telling us. No, no, no. It's definitely not. It's it, it's uh, it's not even it's not even a question I get asked at the moment. It's not a question I'm I worry about. Um, and I think if you think about we're in the middle of a pandemic and clients have got massive, massive strategic um, issues front of mind. Is in housing going to be one of them at this point in time? Or well, let's 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 strategically change what we're doing and start in in housing. It's difficult. They've, we've got clients that have um, in housed and then come back again because actually keeping keeping the quality of the work high, people leave, replacing them. Actually, that's they found out that's actually quite difficult. One question we are getting at the moment is, uh, can we think about outsourcing together? So is this something that we could help them do? But it's out. It's outsourcing within publicist groups, so um, we call it publicist global delivery, and they 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 quite like that idea because they tick the in housing box, but we do all the work and have the facility for it. So that is a more common question than all let's in house at the moment. And finally, to Douglas, um, you you mentioned at the top of the conversation the particular impact the lockdown has obviously had on the outdoor sector, on cinema, movie theatres have been closed for the most part this year. Um, and look at um, the reports that Enders has done, along with um, the networks. Big numbers for, uh, for recovery in 2021, coming from a very low base off the back of 2020. Long-term cinema, I mean, we've had recently news about Warner Brothers. They're going to release you know, their movies on HBO Max, as well as the movie theatres. Disney Plus, we've talked about a lot, are, are beginning to release movies on that platform as well. Um, what, what's your cinema in particular? Is it going to come back? It's a completely different experience, isn't it, going to the cinema from from watching uh, from watching any kind of film or, or or video on your TV set or on your computer. So, for what it's worth, and almost as a personal note, I sincerely hope the answer to your question is that it comes back. But it really all depends on what you were both talking about earlier, which is the hybrid outcome, where we're all going back to our office some days of the week, but not all days of the week. What does this actually look like? What does it look like for the city of London? What does it look like for the West End of London? What does it look like in Birmingham and Edinburgh and around the country? Because that is the only way ultimately to answer this question is, is, is if the numbers are big enough, if people are flowing back into big suburban areas and ultimately urban areas on, if not quite a daily basis, then a near to daily basis, then sure, cinema cinemas can come back. If this, if this is all a lot more I mean, it's my point. Uh, my point earlier about bullet holes through the, through the economy. If this all looks like a piece of Swiss Swiss cheese with holes everywhere, I think uh, industries like cinema are going to struggle. And good to go to your your point about the decisions being made by big studios. They they're making those kind of decisions in the relatively short term right now. I don't think they're necessarily saying that is the permanent decision that we are making. But you know, I don't doubt that at a very senior executive level, these conversations are going going on almost week in week out, and it's really just a question of keeping an eye on 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 how the circumstances change and we're talking about you know will cinema, cinema survive in this in in this city in this country and so on the same conversations will be happening in france and germany and italy and so on and so forth as well so the, uh, and there won't be one answer here there will not be one answer that will be there will be lots of lots of different shades 
uh, shades of grey in terms of, of what comes back and what doesn't come back. And of course, all of what I've said also applies exactly as well to, to the outdoor advertising industry. Uh, because if the numbers of people coming back to the office end up being inverted commas disappointing, in other words, you haven't got that huge kind of commuter traffic moving around, then outdoor advertising will also be under immense pressure. Final thoughts, Sue? Prospects are outdoor and cinema next year? Yeah, I think the cinema is going to entirely depend on the behaviour of the studios. They will dictate uh, what is going to happen if we're all going to be going back. So like Douglas on a personal level, I'd love going, but... I'll probably only go for a big blockbuster or something like that. So, uh, so I, I think so. I have I'm more fearful for cinema than out of home. I think out of home uh, will come back more quickly than cinema. I think people. I think, don't think the underground out, out of home is going to come back anytime soon. I think people will keep off the underground. I think the roadside out of home will come back more quickly. We're getting into our cars much more just because of the fear of the virus at the moment. So um, I have I've, I have less concerns for outdoor and and I, I am concerned for the cinema industry. And I think we will all miss it. And like, we, yes, we like to go and buy perfume in a shop. We do like to go to cinema, but you have to have people going enough to be able to keep these these expensive buildings in place. Uh, on that cheery note <laughs> uh, thank, thank you thank you so much uh, Sue Frogley and Douglas McKay for coming on the campaign podcast and let's get together at the end of 2021 uh, when who knows uh, who knows what, is, who knows <laughs> what uh, situation we're facing but for, for now thank you very much and that's the show thanks so much for listening dear listener um that's it for the year we will of course be back with the campaign podcast in 2021 fear not um this episode was edited by Lindsay riley and please do subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player whatever that might be so you don't miss future episodes and of course remember go to campaignlive.co.uk to get all the latest ad industry stories and read about the latest major ad campaigns and just as a final reminder we just write about the ad campaigns we don't make or decide where the ads go until next time please stay safe be kind to one another and catch you next time bye